everybody. Welcome back to the Public Art Fund podcast, Public Art Works, where we use public art as a means of jumpstarting broader conversations about New York City, our history, and our current moment, which is something that lies at the very core of what we think public art should do. I'm your host, Jeffrey Wright, and on this episode, we're exploring the relationship between art and activism. Specifically, we're looking at the ways in which artists create works that support their activism and how things like fashion and even skateboarding can become potent tools. To answer these and other questions, we're going to check in with Public Art Fund artist Sue DeBeer and skater-slash-organizer Ariana Gill. But first, werewolves. I so wish you all could see this. What you're hearing is a premonition. What might happen when girl becomes beast? What you're missing are the gorgeously lit and composed visuals that comprise Sue DeBeer's The White Wolf, a two-channel video installation she exhibited at the Marianne Boski Gallery here in New York last year. A doctor played by the musician Yuka Honda wraps herself in a white sheet. As she sleeps and dreams, we see a flicker of the white wolf. We see a lighthouse. A bloodied body mid-surgery, that is, fun fact, Public Art Fund's own associate curator, Daniel S. Palmer. It's scary, yes, but it's also lush. A surrealist fairy tale heightened by Sue's signature approach to lighting, composition, and storytelling. The twinning, the dreamy, jewel-toned palette. It all suggests the complex psychological space that Sue's been known to mine in her work, which ranges from still photography to multi-channel video installations like this one. Here's Sue discussing the project. On the simplest level, it's a D-grade horror film. It's a werewolf film. It's done on a teeny tiny budget, and it's created by an artist, so it takes a lot of liberties with the genre. I think the thing that I was interested in about the werewolf was involuntary physical transformation, a human body changing without you having control over it, and how this speaks to the self, where is the human, where does it begin and end? Part of the freedom and and the beauty of being an artist is that you can take existing formats and you can shift them. And the way that you shift them is through shifting content and ideas and meaning. That shifting of content and ideas is at the very core of Sue's Public Art Fund commission as well. A video work that was screened on a billboard in Times Square as part of a 2017 group exhibition called Commercial Break. The show featured 23 artists whose work disrupted the paid programming on advertising screens citywide. The project was a great fit for Sue, who has thought quite a lot about image culture in her work over the years. My work draws from existing source material to construct meaning. I tend to look at cultural detritus, I guess, or a kind of unconscious heartbeat of a broader cultural set of images or image making and to try to construct maybe a tighter set of images or thoughts to create a specific idea about a specific theme, which is something also that's in the piece that I did for Public Art Fund. But it's something that's been consistent going back to, I think, my very first solo exhibition as a young artist. When Dan approached me to do that project, That's Public Art Fund curator Dan, the one who cameoed in The White Wolf. I think that he was thinking of my history of portraiture. He was thinking about the space, Times Square. I had recently been doing some commercial work, and he and I had discussed the difference between producing images for visual art and images that exist in a commercial space. And, you know, my experience doing commercial work is that it's targeted in a way that I find to be non-inclusive, 
Times Square, it's the commercial space for moving image. And it was a pretty great challenge, I guess, to think about that space and how it would be possible to shift that space or who you expect to see in that space and who would be interesting to add to that space. Let's pause for a second here as that question is a good one. How do you shift a space like Times Square? And who would you want or expect to see celebrated in a space like Times Square? Before we hear how Sue herself answered this question, let's see what everyday New Yorkers had to say. I would want to see LeBron James on a billboard in Times Square. Maybe that girl Barb from Stranger Things. I'm going to be super basic. I'm going to say Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> That's just like the first person that comes to mind because I'm obsessed with him. Um, Chance the Rapper. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. If I had to pick somebody, I would pick Wrigley. Wrigley is my dog. I would want to see somebody like Hillary Clinton or Michelle Obama. Barack Obama. <laughs> that's what every that's what every New Yorker says. Malala, you know, someone like her, I think. You know, someone who has done something positive for the world. I mean, I feel like just people that are not represented on the regular basis, like, you know, like a person of myself, like a person of color, a lot of black businesses that are not really presented out there and sometimes even like their ideas are stolen and are made even bigger by somebody else. Someone with something to say that could use a valuable platform like that. What I would like to see is uh, you know something for the greater good. I should add here that Public Art Fund once asked itself this question too and the answer was obviously art and artists. From 1982 to 1990, Public Art Fund ran Messages to the Public, an exhibition series that invited artists to create and screen a work of art on the first digital billboard in Times Square. The roster is impressive. The artists included Adrian Piper, Martha Rosler, Lorna Simpson, Richard Prince, Alfredo Yar, David Wanarovich, Kiki Smith, Vito Acanchi, the Gorilla Girls, and Jenny Holzer, whose work on this project marked her first foray into LED lighting as a medium something she's perhaps best known for today. It's also where Holzer debuted the truism, abuse of power comes as no surprise, which became a rallying cry for women in the art world in the wake of Me Too. So who and what did Sue DeBeer want to put on a billboard in Times Square? At the time, the answer was a skater activist collective that she'd learned about called Brujas and its founder, Ariana Gill. I mean, I'll often see someone performing or see someone in a room and remember their face or remember them doing something. And I came to Ariana in a similar way in that she has this group, Brujas, which is both a a kind of skateboarding group and also a political group in my mind. And I had heard about Brujas and then Ariana was in residency at Recess Gallery doing a project with Gita Black. So I went down with a friend of mine and saw her working with her community and creating this series of lectures and she seemed so just amazing. I mean really together and really sharp and she's so substantive and I thought for sure this is someone that would be great to put in Times Square. My name is Ariana Gill. I'm one of the co-founders of Brujas. Brujas is an urban, free-form, autonomous, radical, gender self-determining collective from New York City. Bruja technically means witch in Spanish and likely originally referred to female healers from indigenous populations. And Ariana's group is but one of the many ways young Latinx artists and activists are reclaiming the term. Last summer, Brujas was in residency at Performance Space 122 in the East Village, 
where they created a public artwork of their own called the Bruras Training Facility. The installation featured an indoor skate park where the group hosted daily open skates, as well as a series of collaborative workshops on a range of issues affecting the Bruras community, which its members define as follows. Brewhouse is multiple things at once. It's a group that produces streetwear, ready-to-wear clothes. It's a community organization that like does its own programming and events, and it's like a political organization that does like knowledge production around like radical thought. We uh, skate, we make music, we do many things just to get together and try to fix things. It's not just skateboarders anymore. It's like a group of artists and healers and hustlers and political organizers, and I kind of come more from the like political organizing background. Another way to describe it is like friends who love each other and take care of each other. It's like a way of being together, like a kind of sociality potentially, right? That like is really exciting to me. It's my friends are brujas. <laughs> I was thinking about this earlier because I was thinking about like the Spanish like gendering of words and how like brujas is like, oh, all women witches or whatever. And that definitely was true at the beginning. Like it was a group of mostly young women from New York who were Latina who were skateboarding at this one skate park in the Bronx. And now it's kind of like grown into this like multi-dimensional, multi-racial, multi-gender group of like, yeah, all kids who like grew up in New York City, who went to like New York City public schools and are really dedicated to radical movements and also really interested in aesthetics. Everyone's like always rolling through Ariana's mom's house and like producing work together and it's just, yeah, it's really exciting. Here's Ariana again. I think that the coolest way to just talk about it as an educational model, to bring people in in different ways, people who don't necessarily like to sit down and listen to lectures can engage as skateboarders or can engage at parties or can engage through the clothing. The world can feel so flat sometimes and so boring to me and I think a lot of my peers because I feel like a lot of our political power has been just stripped from us before we were even conscientized to really understand what we wanted from the world. I'm super interested in what a worker-owned and collective model of streetwear looks like. I'm so stoked just on the pure knowledge that we have as a group in under four years have like produced um, together. Just like learned so much about the industry, learned so much about markets, learned so much about bullshit, so much about capitalism. So all of it is really just an attempt to just take the world back. These broader goals also shape the ways in which Ariana thinks about art and public art in particular. I mean, I think that there's a lot that has to be interrogated about conceptualizing public art. I grew up with community-based art practices or communities of practice which were artistic, and without those, I wouldn't be the person that I am or inspired to the levels that I am inspired on a daily basis. Things like block parties, things like the performance art that happens in a skate park. Streetwear is a publicly accessed art because it's designed to be worn in public, outside, in the street. I think that curators have a responsibility to intentionally bring new kinds of thinking to public spaces to expose young people and communities in general to new ideas while being cognizant and respectful of the culture of that arena, of that area, space. I think that amplifying the voice of native to New York City youth is part of like how you conceive of cultural sensitivity, like Max B on a billboard. Those are like three major components that I think are important to like the public display of art. Which brings us back to Sue, 
whose contribution to the Public Art Fund's commercial break was a series of three microfilms featuring Ariana and Broja. Sometimes we refer to the male members of Brujas as Brojas. Perp Perez. They played on a digital billboard on the east side of Times Square, flanked by ads for hotels and hair products. Each 10-second film features Ariana and Perp both in Bruja skatewear. We see them skating, talking, laughing. We see them lit in Sue's characteristic jewel tones. We see close-ups of their clothes and accessories, just as we would in a traditional ad. Yet Sue's films end with a different sort of call to action, an image of a protest banner that says, Don't mourn, organize. One of the films makes use of other archival elements, too. Images of great activists of the past, including Emma Goldman, Angela Davis, and Max B. The work's title, If They Come in the Morning, is borrowed from Davis's seminal 1971 critique of the U.S. prison system, which she wrote and edited while in prison herself. Davis borrowed that language, too. It's a reworking of something James Baldwin wrote to her in a letter in 1970. He wrote, If they take you in the morning, they will be coming for us that night. Here's Sue again. I mean, I think for many people working on that project, you know, the, the election had just happened and it was such a terrible moment and continues to unfold in this horrifying way. But it seemed like such a beautiful thing to put someone with the agency and vision that Ariana has, you know, and, and to support her and her work and her project. One aspect of that project is a streetwear line called 1971, which Sue featured prominently in her films. The name of the line is 1971, which celebrates the date September 9th, 1971, which was a date when 1,000 prisoners rioted and seized control of Attica Prison in New York. And, you know, rather than creating a giant billboard for H&M, why not have 1971 have a billboard? It just seemed like a beautiful opportunity to do that, to, to give someone that I respected a, a platform or a presence, I guess, in that space. So what impact can a platform like this have? Public Art Fund brought Sue and Ariana back together to discuss. When I was learning more about you and about Brujas, the way that you had put together ideas and, and people and thinking and, again, advocacy around this streetwear line was really interesting to me. So can you tell me more about 1971? 1971 was the beginning of Brujas Special Collections, so now we've continued to use the special collection model, but... It was the first time we put like a fall collection out and it was a two-piece gym set. We called it the PE set, doubling for political education and physical education. And it was how we could materially support our friends affected by the prison industrial complex. So it was a fundraiser. It was a Kickstarter. Shout out Kickstarter. I mean, amazingly, this nationally coordinated strike was launched on the anniversary of the Attica Rebellion on September 9th. When did we launch this project? I'm going to say 2016. Yeah, 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 it was 2016. So yeah, 2016. And then about a month after we had the materials prepared to launch this, it was also to bring awareness and education to people who had no idea about the prison strike that was happening and had no idea about the Attica Rebellion either. So it was our way of disseminating information and then also bringing material resources to prisoners and members of the Brujas community who are constantly being criminalized for being brown, black, queer, rebels in 
public space. So the people that we supported through this fund have been the F2L organization, which we were able to make a $7,000 donation to, who specifically deal with queer and trans prisoners of color. And then the Brujas Fund has like supported skateboarders who are in prison, people who are skaters who have just gotten out of prison. We did a legal drop-in where we paid people's um, transit fines because like there's a huge issue in our community with like fine farming like those at the margins and who can't afford are being like taxed by the state to raise municipal funds so they don't have three dollars to take the train out of your neighborhood to go skate so you have to turn sound and now you're a hundred dollars in debt to the state so we were paying that which felt really good um, to engage with skateboarders in our community at that level Some of the work that I've been doing right now is definitely about what kinds of people are subject to violence and what kind of images, specifically talking about people who are sick. The obsession with like with gore and punishment uh, on bodies has so informed the critique that Bruras has like put forward on the uh, like biopsychiatry. But um, I'm interested in your expansion on the space between you and an image and the space between you and another person and post-internet, how you like experience and process images. Yeah, it's funny because those gaps are still there, but there's so many more images in between you and, and the other thing that you're thinking about. So the werewolf film is so much about images and ingesting images, but it's hard for me to reconstruct what the images were that I was looking at or thinking about. And also the maybe another link between this and the werewolf film is that you know there is something about those images that's also about control. The Times Square project was an, was anomalous because of the location. And although as a person I think politically I'm very, especially in this moment, conscious and aware of structures. And it's drifted in and out of my work before, but often my work is is not specifically political in that way. Although I do do quite a bit of portraiture. For me, the the piece was about you, not about me. And so I wanted to be as true to you as possible. I wanted it to be a portrait of you, one that you would like, not one that I would like. And one thing that I do think can happen is that, you know, artists or brands can really exploit people and kind of extract value from them. And I didn't want you to feel like that. I guess I wanted you to feel like it was a, a platform for you to present a version of yourself that you agree with. Like almost in a way I was working for you rather than working for myself. And in particular with this space being such a public space, it felt really crucial that that was true. I'm glad I felt that way to you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Times Square is a, is a really quirky place. Like the police are like armed with machine guns in Times Square. It's a lot of surveillance. I wonder sometimes if doing these kinds of projects and building these kinds of relationships protect Brujas in certain ways. Sometimes when people with a little bit more um, institutional backing, presence, legitimacy reach out and give us these opportunities, it makes my group, I think, in a certain capacity feel a bit safer. Um, which is huge because the fear of whatever fascist retaliation can be debilitating in how big and beautifully we can dream sometimes because of seeing a lot of the comrades and people in the struggle being, you know, dismantled. So just in light of that, seeing our message amongst a lot of oppositional messaging was very exciting and gave, I think, a lot of people a lot of uh, hope in our capacity to sustain. It felt subversive in a positive way. 
and it, again, I think I had the sense of, of who goes to this space and what the audience is, and I really loved the idea of this audience, you know, receiving this information and having to think about it, maybe walking away with it in their mind. A bunch of us were in a cab coming uptown from something together, and we had the cab driver drive through Times Square so oh, we good. could see it, which was really cool. <laughs> That's so nice. It was, nice. like, totally out of route, but the the cab driver was like young and he like liked our energy and he was like all right and he like drove us past ah, it that was fun that's so great yeah that makes me really happy yeah that was cool thank you all for listening and a big thanks to sue and ariana for sharing please be sure to visit our website publicartfund.org for more information on sue's work and brujas and for links to shop the latest brujas collection And please tune in next time for a very special dialogue between Public Art Fund director and chief curator Nicholas Bohm and artist Ai Weiwei. Public Art Works is a podcast by Public Art Fund produced with Sandinwolf. As the leader in its field, Public Art Fund brings dynamic contemporary art to a broad audience in New York City and beyond by mounting ambitious, free exhibitions of international scope and impact that offer the public powerful experiences with art and the urban environment. Public Art Fund is supported by the generosity of individuals, corporations, and private foundations, including lead support from Bloomberg Philanthropies, along with major support from Booth Ferris Foundation, the Karina Endowment Fund, the Mark Haas Foundation, Hartfield Foundation, Stavros Niarchos Foundation, the Donald A. Pell's Charitable Trust, and the Silverweed Foundation. Generous support is also provided by the Lily Auchincloss Foundation, Inc. Public Art Fund exhibitions are also supported in part with public funds from government agencies, including the New York State Council on the Arts, with the support of Governor Andrew M. Cuomo and the New York State Legislature, and the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. <laughs>